great to be here this morning. We are excited about what, what's happening right now, and we are, we are anxiously awaiting to see how God can take the words from Scripture and put in our hearts that make a difference in how we live and what we look like as sons and daughters of, of Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 5 is the reference that we're going to be in. Um, If you're unfamiliar, the Bible is divided up into two sections, basically. You have what's called the Old Testament, and that's pretty much everything that happened before the time of Christ. And then you have the New Testament, and that's everything that happened from the birth of Christ until, give or take, a hundred, right? A hundred years, something like that. So uh, the, the beginning of the church. So the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are called the Gospels commonly. And what they do is it's four different perspectives on the, lives and te- the life and teachings of Christ. And so you have Matthew here, which is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and you were five chapters in here. And you really have, this is kind of the launching of the ministry of Christ. So in chapter, chapters 1 and 2 and 3, you got a lot of background information going on. You have Christ as a child a little bit. And then you have in chapter 4, you know, he gets baptized. And now he has his disciples picked out. And he takes them up onto a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he preaches what now has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Pretty original. This wasn't to thousands of people. The Bible says in the first couple of verses here of chapter 5 that he took his disciples and went up onto a mount. And more than likely, what if you want to kind of put a visual, I showed a picture of this during the slideshow in between services because we were actually there where they think this sermon likely took place. No way to know. It's all tradition, but it's pretty cool. That he had his back to the sea and was speaking up the hill to his disciples. That's kind of the vision that we need to kind of put in our brain. So he begins this Sermon on the Mount. The first two verses of chapter 5 were kind of introduction. And then we have the next couple verses, 3 through 9, are commonly known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are characteristics of citizens of this new kingdom of heaven. So Jesus Christ is introducing this new way to live. It's this new way to, to live out how Christ thinks that we ought to live and interact with each other. Things like humility, things like meekness, things like seeking peace among our neighbors, things like desiring righteousness, desiring God, being merciful to each other, having a pure heart about things. So he wants to get away from checking boxes And making sure that all 630-some laws are followed to where your character is such that you reflect the effect that Christ and God is having on your life to those around you. So these, these characteristics that became known as Beatitudes all had to do with those people, right? Blessed are those Blessed are those, so it's everything in there was like, blessed are those people who behave this way. So then what he does, he shifts gears in, in chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12, and he says, now this ain't going to come over really easy to everybody. So then he says, blessed are you when you get persecuted. So you live out this life, and you live this way, and I'm telling you right now, Christ is saying, it's not going to be okay with everybody. 
And then he jumps into verse 13 here, and he makes two incredible statements here. And he gives these incredible metaphors about how he sees us in this world. And this is what's incredible. He starts off verse 13, and he says this, you are the salt of the earth. Now, now, hang on just a second. Who is he speaking with here? His disciples, right? How long have they been with him? (laughs) Not very long, right? How, wrap your brain around this. How is he looking at these 12 guys who are just now getting to know him? And how is he looking at them and saying, you are the salt of the earth? They were just catching fish and collecting taxes a little while ago. It's not like there's been this significant life transformation. But he's looking at them and saying, you are the salt of the earth. And he says, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. So here's the first analogy Christ gives here in, in, in reference to the, the, the new citizens of this kingdom of heaven. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now we use that phrase a lot of times. Like, man, they just, they, they just salt of the earth people. Maybe that's a southern thing. And they're just salt of the earth people, just real good folks, right? They're just salt of the earth. And what we're saying is there's something about the quality of their life. There's something about the way that they live, that they're just good folks. They care about people. And that's kind of the idea that we feel that's all about. But I want you to notice something here. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. What he did not say was a religious institution was the salt of the earth. He didn't say governmental institutions or educational institutions are the salt of the earth. No, he said you, and, and, and if you look, that's an emphatic. So that means you alone. You're it. You are the salt of the earth. You're, you're the plan. Oh, man. Did he know what he was doing? You alone are the salt of the earth. And Jesus shifts from saying those people, the peacemakers, the meek, those people, describing those that follow the Beatitudes, and he talks about all of that character, and now he shifts it from the character that we have now has an effect, and you are the salt of the earth. We've gone from character to conduct. So here's a couple thoughts about this, just to kind of bring it home a little bit. If we are the same, then we can't change it. So if there's no difference in how we live, if there's no, in other words, if Jesus does not make a difference in our life, and if we do not live out these beatitudes, if we don't live differently than the people around us, then we aren't changing anything. If we are the salt in this world, but we don't taste any different than the world that we're living in, then we aren't doing any changing. And that's why he says, he said, if if you lose your savor, then wherewith will it be salted? That word savor is also uh, used sometimes to describe tang that you feel in your mouth when you eat something. There's There's like a punch that it gives you. 
There's a tang there, and that's what he's talking about. You lose your tang. And so if you lose that, like what good are you doing anybody around you? And God help us, as Christ followers, there ought to be a significant impact in the lives of the people that we interact with. Just like when you add salt to a steak. Did your mouth water right then? Mine did, and I'm the one that said it. So if you see spit fine, you know why. Right? You put, you put some salt on something, and it makes a difference in how it tastes. And there is a saltiness about the believer that ought to make a difference in the world in which we live. Another statement that I want to mention here in regards to this is that if we are separate, we can't affect it. These are, these are some pretty big aha statements here, right? So if there's not enough difference in how we're living, we're not going to be able to change the world that we live. Oh, I heard this this week, that, that if we would begin to make friends of our enemies, eventually we would run out of enemies. And this world will make them be a much better place. So it's almost like if we begin to live out these beatitudes and we are peacemakers and we do live humbly, and we do seek righteousness, and we are pure at heart, pretty soon it begins to affect our world. It affects your family, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your parents and your children, your coworkers. And pretty soon the world that we live in is changing because we are the salt. We are living out what kingdom dwellers are supposed to live like. And the second aspect of that is, is if we separate ourselves from the world in which we live, then we can't affect it. Now, here's where I'm going with that. Salt's not supposed to stay in the salt shaker. And so if all we do is just come to church and hang around with people here in church, I mean, it's encouraging, but we're not doing any good anywhere. And if you want to use a different analogy... The Dead Sea in Israel is called the Dead Sea because it doesn't have an outlet. Everything flows into the Dead Sea, but nothing flows out of it. And no fish are there. There's no life there. And if all you do is receive great words from the Word of God, and you listen to great music, and you enjoy your Christian life, and you're just with a bunch of other Christians, you're not doing a whole lot of good in this world. And I think we need to be more intentional about where we spend our time and who we become friends with and what good we are doing in this world because if we are separate, we cannot affect it because we're not supposed to be staying in the salt shaker. We won't spend long on this, but there are six characteristics of salt, and there may be more. This is all that I came up with. Salt seasons. So it adds flavor. There ought to be a difference Someone has said that the main trouble today is not that our doctrine is false, but that our experience is flat. Like, what do we add to this relationship? Salt season. Salt preserves. There's a story in the Old Testament about Abraham who had a nephew named Lot that lived in a wicked city called Sodom. You may have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God made the decision to destroy Sodom because of the incredible wickedness. And Abraham begins to negotiate with God, right? He's like, okay, you're going to destroy the city. 
He knew Lot was living there. So he's like, well, would you destroy the, 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 the whole city if there were 50 righteous people living there? And God says, no. In fact, if there were 50 people, I would, I would not destroy the city. Okay, um, how about 45? And God's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, okay, 45. He keeps negotiating this number down to 10 people. So he finally gets God to say, if there are 10 righteous people in that city, will you not destroy it? And God says, if there's 10 righteous people, I won't destroy it. Guess what? There wasn't 10 righteous people. And the sad commentary is that if you add up the number of family members that Lot had living there, if just his family members were righteous, the whole city could have been saved. So, so my point here is that salt has, as, as salt in this world, we have the ability to preserve is what we're saying. That's a beautiful impact that we can have. Salt seasons, salt preserves, salt purifies. The best remedy for your throat a lot of times is just a gargle with salt water. There's something about that. Salt also heals kind of on the same thing. And let me tell you this, uh, um, um, jumping ahead of myself, a lot of you, so, so think about, the, think about the, the way that we ought to be living our life. And if we are peacemakers and we're living humbly and we're meek and we seek after God and we're pure in heart and we're living out these beatitudes, can you not see where that has a healing effect on relationships? Too many of you are really good at the sixth characteristic of salt, and that is that it irritates. You feel like that's your spiritual gift. Like, I am put on this world to irritate my coworkers with my sense of spirituality. I don't think that means what you think it means. But here's the potential, right? If we are living out... If we are living these kingdom principles, these beatitudes, and by the way, take them off the plaque and put them in your life. Like it makes for a beautiful picture. Blessed are the pure in heart. All right, become pure in heart. Like put it into practice. Begin to live out the life that makes you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And as you are meek and you are humble and you are pure and you are seeking righteousness and you're a peacemaker, what begins to happen is the relationships in your life become healed. Salt has a healing agent. Homes can be rescued. Lives can be changed. Broken hearts can be mended. Burdens can be lifted. Sick bodies and minds can be made well because of the therapeutic power of the Holy Spirit living through the life of a believer. Salt heals. Salt also creates thirst. One of my favorite, my favorite things to hear is when, I, when I'm greeting a visitor. Hey, how did you hear of us? I have a friend. I have a coworker. And they said, so what it tells me, there's conversation happening. That blesses my heart. I was talking to someone this morning before the 9 o'clock hour, and, and, um, and, and she has, I don't want to embarrass her, but she has um, had such an impact. 
she started coming to church here maybe November. And then she brought one coworker with her. And then another coworker moved from, I think, Oregon here and became a coworker. And now she's been coming. And then she introduced me to a new coworker friend this morning. She's contagious. Right? That's kind of the way it's supposed to be. That's a beautiful thing. There are people who are at this church right now because of another friend of mine that talks about the Lord and goes into houses and does construction and does work and has conversations and people show up here. There, there is something about the way that we're living that, now listen, please, if you're a bad advertisement, don't talk about us, okay? <laughs> if you're a jerk, I don't want people to know that you come to our church, all right? Just keep your mouth shut. But if you're, a, if you're a nice person, I don't mind you saying, hey, all right? But there's, there ought to be something that, about your life that creates thirst, right? There, there ought to be something that's like, wow. Man, that's, I mean, it's not like, it's not as extreme as you might think. It's just, if it becomes normal conversation for you, if it becomes part of who you are, and it's almost like you can't help but it kind of bubbles out, that's good stuff, man. That's great. That's the way it ought to be. You're affecting change. You're in the world. You're, you're making things happen. That's what's exciting. And then the one that many of you are good at, salt irritates. And there is some truth here because I realize that the way that so many people live is absolutely contrary to what God knows to be a successful way to live. And so it, it does kind of rub salt in a wound. And so there is some irritation that's going to happen sometimes. I get it. And some of you are incredibly gifted, but I don't think that's like your spiritual gift. So just a few thoughts there. Um, um, and, and, here's, and here's, I put these kind of in the first person on purpose. Because I want you to kind of have this mentality. And the first statement is, I am a Christ-empowered influencer. That's my potential. With the help of Jesus Christ living in and through me, I have the ability to be an influence in the world that I live in. And when I say the world that I live in, I mean your family, your relationships, your neighborhood, your job. You have the ability to be a Christ-empowered influencer wherever you are. How exciting is that? Second thought that goes along with that is, and then again, first person here, my life can and will make a difference. And so when you live out verses three through nine, <laughs> yeah, there may be some persecution, verses 10, 11, and 12, but then you jump right in here and keep in mind who he's talking to. Newbies, brand new followers of Christ, you are the salt of the earth. The second illustration he uses, the metaphor that he uses for these followers, verses 14, 15, and 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick or a, or a lampstand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. And then he says this, three yours in this last verse. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So here's the second metaphor. Not only are you the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. C.S. Spurgeon said this. He said, I would not give much for a religion unless it can be seen. Because lamps do not talk, they shine. I don't think your life is as irritating to people as your mouth is. I'm the pastor. I can say that kind of thing. (laughs) This title of light of the world, here's here's this great little, little piece of cultural information. So this title of light of the world was actually something that the Jews would give eminent rabbis or religious leaders of the day. These were men who spent their life pouring over scripture and studying scripture and they would come in with these nuggets and change the way people think about God and they were given this title light of the world or lamps of the universe what an what an incredible and there were very few like it was it was hardly ever said of a rabbi you are like the light of the world you are a lamp of this universe and so here you have Christ beginning his earthly ministry looking at these 12 men most of who were not really all that preeminent in society. And he's looking at these men hijacking this phrase saying, you are the light of this world. When you live according to the principles and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you are the light of the world. What an incredible statement. And it was not because of what they knew it was because of who they were. So here's the, here's the good news for us, right? I don't know where you are on this journey. Like, like, like you may be coming to church for the first time and you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. Like, I, I mean, and really, that's, that's a lot of who we are, right? So, so we, we're all on this spiritual journey. Some of you have yet to take your first step. And can I just say, thank you for being here. I know coming to a room full of strange people that are stranger because they came, claim to be Christ followers. And here you are. That's a big deal, and I don't take that for granted. And you've not even taken your first step, but thank you for being here. But some of you have at least taken a step, and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know what that means. I want more information about that. And so you're like, you're like taking that step. You don't even have it all figured out yet. You don't know how many books are in the Bible. You thought it was just one book. And now you're there's 66 of them. And bless your heart, you started reading the Bible this year and you started in Leviticus. God help you. I'm sorry. There's other places in the Bible to read. There's important stuff there, but that may not be a great launching pad. So it's like you, you're trying to figure all this out. And, and, all, and so you're, you're on your journey here, right? Here's the beautiful thing. You're the light of the world. And you ain't even got it. You don't even know where the switch is. You're the light of the world. And it's not because of what you know. It's about who you know. It's not about, listen, it's not about all the information that you have memorized. You may not have any church background. But it's about what you are. It's about whose you are. That's what makes you the light of this world. These were not fully trained followers of Jesus. They had not been to spiritual school. They were not versed religiously. 
They were the light of the world because they were following the light. He says this. He said, so, right, so let your, your light shine before men. That word so refers to something else. So he's saying, all right, so, so if you live out these beatitudes, if you have the character of a Christ follower, if you have the character of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, now your light's going to shine before men. Light must first be imparted to us before it can shine out from us. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then look at what our influence can be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's where we're living. And then he says this, among whom you shine as lights in this world. That's us. Now, Philippians was written decades later by Paul, who wasn't even in that original crowd. And he is saying to the church at Philippi, you are lights in this world. How are we doing? Let me give you just two quick things, and, we'll, and then we'll wrap up here. The first thing about being this light is that men will see your good works. Now, I emphasize you're here on purpose. So men will see your good works. How beautiful is that? Now, this word good is pretty incredible here. So men will see your good works. So, so good here. So, so the Bible that we have today, like the New Testament, was originally written in, a, in, in Greek, Koine Greek to be specific. So we don't read that anymore. So it's, it's gone through a couple different iterations, right? A couple different translations. And so we translate it as good. The original Greek word there was the word kalos, K-A-L-O-S. That word means this. It means attractive, beautiful, or lovely. So we're not just talking about good, like good for people. It was lovely. There was something about the life that he said would be lived by his followers. Let's pray for that child. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for that mama. We feel your pain, Melody. We do. We get it. And by the way, you know, babies mean that there's life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And I love, I love kiddos in our church. And I am grateful for every single parent that brings their kids here because they're doing their best to raise them the way God wants them to be raised. And I'm grateful for that. And I know sometimes a crying baby or whatever interrupts your train of thought. It doesn't take much to do that. You're doing that on your own anyway. All right? You're not, you're not thinking that deep, all right? You've already picked out what you want on the menu at the restaurant you're going to afterwards, all right? We can handle it. The word for good is, is this thing, attractive and beautiful and lovely. And Jesus is saying here that people will be attracted by your beauty of life. Literally, that just gave me goosebumps. There is something about the way that a Christ follower can live that is so different and so unique and so beautiful that people can't help but notice the relationship that you have with your wife. People can't help but notice how much your kids love you. 
People can't help but notice how you, how you really are an honest employee. There is something about the word testimony, the life that you live that is so lovely and so beautiful and so attractive that they will see those good works that you're living. Here's another way to say it, like Jesus would say it. When they see your lovely ways. Now here's what Jesus didn't say. When they hear your great preachers. He didn't say that. He didn't say when they sit in your lovely sanctuaries. He didn't say when they hear your wonderful choirs or when they read your statement of faith. He said when they see your lovely ways. When they see your blessed life, when they see your good works, when they see the way you live. And by the way, they will see. And it's either going to be like really good or it'll be no different. So here's the beautiful thing. They will, they will see your good works, but then here's what happens. They give God the credit. And that's what's so beautiful. Because God's the one that came up with all this anyway. Like, how would you know to be humble? Right? That's not natural. How would you know to be generous? How would you know to be a peacemaker? That ain't you. That ain't, that's, that's God. And so when you are simply responding to the indwelling Holy Spirit and the life of Christ and the example that he gave, and you're living out what a kingdom dweller ought to be living out, and people notice it and they're attracted to that and it's a beautiful life, then he ought to get the credit. Because he's the one that came up with all of this. And he's the one that loved you so well that you're here today. They will praise your Father who is in heaven. That's the kind of influence that you and I can have. That's the kind of influence we should have that the life we live draws attention to the God we serve. And here's the whole thing. Light's not supposed to call attention to itself anyway. Right? You, go into a, you, you stumble into a dark room and you look for the light switch. You turn that light on. You're not going, oh, that's a beautiful aura. No, you're looking for something, right? It lights up and you get to see what you're supposed to be looking for. And the light that we shine is not so that people look at us. The light that we shine is to say it's because of Jesus. We turn the light on in our life so that other people can see the the God that we serve. That's the whole idea here. So men will see your beautiful life. They will see your good works, and then they'll glorify your Father in heaven because they know you ain't all that. It's God and what he's doing in your life. Light rarely gets the credit. It is what is illuminated that should be noticed. Now, I read this this week. Alistair Begg said this, if you can't shine, at least twinkle. <laughs> now, 
I was like, that's really good. Until I like said it. And I felt weird encouraging you to go out of here today and twinkle. I don't know. But I think what he's saying is like, like some of you may not be like a floodlight, right? But some of you can at least flicker maybe. Can't you make some improvement? Is there a part of your life where you can be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that the way, the way Jesus wants me to try it. I'm going to live out. I'm going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to care for my wife well. I'm going to love all my kids. I'm going to be happy when I go to work. You know what's amazing is a smile makes such a huge difference. Like, listen, 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 we all got stuff, okay? We all got stuff that we're working on and that we're battling and that, that, that looks like a negative in our life. We all got it. We all, but, but you don't have to react negatively to every negative thing that happens in your life. That's the difference that Jesus is supposed to make. Like, that's the counterbalance, right? Because this is just a temporary life we're, li- we're living. This is not eternity. This is only the beginning of it. And as Christ followers, we have a much greater hope. And we have a much greater opportunity. So if you can't shine, how about you sparkle? How about, I don't like that one either. All right. I got nothing, all right? Just, just try and be a little better. How's that? Like, anyway. We are the salt and light in this world. And there ought to be a difference in the way that we live. That's an attraction to the God we serve. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we are so ready to do this. Maybe there's someone in here this morning, they're like, you know what, I ain't got nothing figured out here. And to be honest, if the rest of us were that honest, we'd be a lot better off. Because just because we've been in church for our whole life doesn't mean we've got a whole lot more figured out. And help us just to enjoy the relationship that we have with you and do our best to live it out with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. So that the God we serve will get all the credit. We love you, and we're grateful for the change you make in our lives. And help that to be evident to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.